but we are uh, so glad you're here. Um, anyone in here going to play, ever play golf? You have played golf, okay. Know what a mulligan is? Does anybody here know what a mulligan is? Free shot. Free shot. That's right. Now, it's most of the time done with people like myself who are terrible at playing golf. All right. Um, and I, just Friday, I went with, with my father-in-law, and uh, I think it was the battle of who's the worst and, uh, at it. Um, we played best ball. That way, uh, we could get out of there at a decent time. Okay? Uh, that way, it didn't turn into like a six-hour event. Um, and, but anyway, basically what happens, uh, a mulligan is where you, you hit a shot, Mr. Tommy, and it's just terrible. You're on, off the tee, you know, your first shot. And said, hey, and they say, and you, is your, with your friends, you say, all right, you get one mulligan every nine rounds or one, one mulligan for the whole 18. And that means you get a do-over, get it go again. Okay, so uh, he said, get another ball out, and you get to go again. Um, you ever just wanted a do-over? Maybe you said something that you know you shouldn't have said, you know, and you wish you could just take those words and put them back in your mouth. Um, you know, um, a second chance to do something right if I just had another chance. And I know Kirk is probably um, not the only one, or Daniel uh, as well, and a lot of athletes in the house um, that, you know, I know as a coach, man, when we lost, I used to, man, I used to think about every every part of that game, all right, and, and what could I have done differently to change the outcome of that game, and I would just beat myself up about it, second chances to do uh, something right, you know, what we're going to, what we're going to read about today and learn about today, that song that Kaylin read and does, and does such a great job, thank you sweetheart, um, we're going to do that song next week, so if you uh, are new, uh, we've been going through the book of Psalms for a couple months now. Uh, we're and we're not doing all the psalms, all right, because that would be a couple years, all right. But uh, we we are just kind of bouncing around. And last week we did 46. We skipped 47, 48, 49, 50, all right. And we're going to do 51 next week, all right, because really it's today too, all right. Because so Psalm 51 is a two-part, two-part sermon, and uh, it, we're going to look today at the very famous sin of David with Bathsheba, okay. And because uh, that's going to lead to next week, all right, Psalm 51. All right, and so um, uh, I bet David was one that, that it, when you, when you uh, hear it today, you're going to be like, yeah, I think he would have wished he had a mulligan, all right, a couple of do-overs from what he did, okay, a, a second chance. So this week we're going to look at sin's slippery slope. Next week we're going to look at um, the rocky road to repentance. So I can keep that Baptist preacher's card. All right, uh, Brother Kirk. Uh, that means I, I, when you put things alliterative, you're, his dad's a preacher. He probably knows. All right, uh, and, uh, and he, you know, you try to do that some, from time to time. So I'm going to keep my card today. I can tell you that. So welcome. Uh, and, and if you are taking notes, and it's going to be up on the screen as we go through uh, the Bible verses, will be up there. Of course, if you have your Bible, that's fine as well. Um, today we're going to look at the steps of sin's slippery slope that David took, and it's the same steps that we can take, all right? Uh, and they are, all right? They all start with the letter C, Daniel, so I know you're proud of me. Comfortable in position, okay? A change in motivation. The third one is going to be a challenge of temptation. Four, we're going to look at the actual commission of sin. And then five, the cover-up and the consequences, okay, that we'll do together. All right, and um, when you look at the screen, today's, basically today's, um, which you there, uh, the central statement is on the screen uh, that we're going to keep going back to. If we are not vigilant when dealing with temptation, we will violate God's commands and the effects of that sin will be vast. Pretty good statement, right? Can probably go home now. 
All right, Mr. Lord's like, yeah, let's do it now. <laughs> All right, no, I'm just playing. We've got to preach first, okay? All right, uh, so 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. All right, this one will be in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. Uh, it reads this way. In the spring, when, kin- when kings march out to war, which, pause for a second, it appears that there was a time back in that day uh, in that area where there was a time for war. Like they, it was like almost like football season. It starts at a certain time, in, or baseball season, or, or volleyball. It was like a time when they went to war. Okay, so it, it seems that that's a, a regular thing. So what should David already be doing? Going where? To war. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's what he's supposed to be doing as the king of Israel. Uh, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They, they, he sent somebody else. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Okay. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is comfortable in position. Uh, again, it was a time of year whenever kings went to war. But what did David do? He stayed where he was, in the king's palace where it was comfortable. But I bet it was nice. Brother Kirk, I bet it was, but I bet it had, you know, it was pretty, had everything he needed in that palace, man. Uh, and he got comfortable. And, uh, you know, think about David's life, and we talked about it as we've gone through the book of Psalms. Um, it hasn't been too long ago when he was living in caves. You remember? All right. And so, uh, running from Saul, and then he was running from Absalom. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. Okay, about a psalm there whenever he was running from Absalom. So he, he doing a lot of running, and, and pro- that's probably not very comfortable. I imagine, uh, you know, um, it, 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 even the cots that uh, Daniel and Hallie and Sally and Candace and I stayed at uh, when we went on that mission trip is probably more comfortable than in a cave, right? All right although I don't know, um, although Jimmy's might have been as good as the king's. His was like souped up awesome. But anyway, um, but it, it, it appears that King David has grown too comfortable where he was. Okay? Uh, enough to where he didn't want to do his appointed duty as king. Um, and instead of leading his, man, his men, he left them without a leader. Kind of sad. Okay? Uh, instead of marching with his men, he made himself a home. Okay? Uh, I used to teach uh, my team whenever I was a coach uh, how to act on the sideline. It was important to me. Okay, and like, wait, what does it, what does it matter if they're not in the game, coach? It mattered to me. Okay, it mattered to me that everybody on my team at least had the appearance that they were ready to play at any time. All right, uh, and so we would talk about that, you know. And I think we may have mentioned that in church before. We talked about, you know, we, we would practice it before the first game. You know? And we'd have people on the court, and we'd have everybody else on the sideline. I said, all right, I want you to sit down. I want you to take your elbows. I want you to put them on your on your knees, and I want you to lean forward. All right. And, you know, so it wasn't just leaning back because you're saying you don't care about what's going on and you're not ready, right? And you're like this, right? You're ready to play right? at any time. Because I wanted my guys to be, to be ready and, and to, to be prepared. But the problem was basically on your toes, right, Coach? All right, on, on, on your toes, on guard. Here's the problem. David wasn't on guard. He wasn't on guard at all. He was very comfortable. First Peter 5, 8 says, and it might be on the screen, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Not, not a roaring little teddy bear like a little berry that my daughter Riley loves, all right? But a roaring lion. And, and like, you know, I was thinking about that. Like, for us, like, well, I don't think we have lions except in, uh, in, in zoos. You know, so I'm like, how does that, how can we relate? It's kind of hard for us to relate to that. Um, but the people that Peter talked to, they would have known about it. 
They would have known about lions. Uh, and in fact, I, I read this. It said more than 1,000 people in southern Tanzania, Africa, were attacked by lions between 1988 and 2009. Over two-thirds of the attacks were fatal, with the lions eating the victims. All right? So, I mean, yeah, I think it... Of course, it didn't take a whole lot of imagination to think what a lion would do to us, okay? All right? uh, but at the same time, uh, obviously, you know, uh, th- this is something to be aware of. You need to be alert. And like I mentioned a few weeks ago, the devil puts a big old bullseye on the Christian's back. Does he not? Right? Especially if, you're being, if you are uh, really growing in your relationship with, with, with Jesus. You, you, you read the Bible. You pray. And uh, you're doing things for him. Oh, Satan doesn't like that. So he puts a big old bullseye uh, on, your, on your back. And so, um, and also understood that lions attack at night mostly. Well, this is basically, you know, for spiritually speaking, uh, it, was, it was at night because David wasn't ready. He was supposed to be somewhere else. Uh, he had grown awfully comfortable. He was not vigilant. Now, what does vigilant mean? I think we need to talk about that since it's part of my central statement. Okay, vigilant means keeping careful watch for possible danger or difficulties. Being, keeping a careful watch, being ready, being alert at all times. And while being comfortable sounds good whenever we're talking about a vehicle or house or shoes, um, it's a dangerous place to be spiritually. Okay, uh, Another word for it, and some of y'all I'm sure will nod your head or, or say amen is the word complacent. It's a, it's a word you don't want to be. You don't want that word to describe you as a Christian. Okay, You don't want to be complacent. It's a, very, it's, it's a very slippery place to be. Okay, because next thing you know, you're not vigilant and you're sliding okay, down a path that you, that, that's not good. Now, how do we get complacent in our faith? Maybe, maybe we stop, stop reading the Bible. You know, may, maybe we, we just don't pray anymore. Uh, maybe we don't feel like our prayers are being answered, so we get discouraged. Or, or we see somebody else who's supposed to be a Christian, and they see, we see them do crazy stuff. And we, 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 you know, when we say, oh, that's a hypocrite, you know, when we start doing that or... Uh, maybe it's not just not coming to church. And I talked to a friend of mine the other day. He said that's a very dangerous place to be. Uh, he was saying, and I kind of agree with him somewhat. I do think the church has done an awesome job through this time, as far as you know, the the millions of people who heard the gospel online that wouldn't have heard it, you know, before. All right, but at the same time, it's dangerous. We need to pray, pray for our church, pray for our churches because it's easy to. Uh, when to stop going to church, it's harder to come back once you stop going. And I see a lot of head not head nodding. Okay, there's just we just we get comfortable, you know, and it's easy. I'm just going to go here to, to church today. I'm just going to go there, you know. Uh, and so uh, be very very careful there. It's our human nature to like to take the path of least resistance, uh, as far as that goes. So if that is us, what should we do about it? Well, for in Peter, 1 Peter 5, the very next verse after the one about the line says this, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We must resist. In order to, re- to resist, we must be willing to fight. In order to fight, you must be ready. You'll see where we're going? In order to be ready, you've got to be on your toes. Go all back full circle. Okay? So it's like you, the teenagers nowadays or your, or your football players probably say you need to be woke. Is that right? Did I say that right? I don't know if I said that. Did I say that right, Daniel? I don't even know. Okay, because you coach baseball. All right, I don't know. All right. Um, I think of teams that I wanted to keep on edge. You know, we might be up by 18 at halftime, and I'd say, all right, we'll go back in, score's tied. Okay, so our second half is tied. In your mind, the game's tied. Okay, all right, and we're going to go from, you know, to, to that point to a timeout, and let's see where we are, you know. Are we behind? You know, and just trying to keep them at edge. And I will say uh, it was really difficult to keep, your championship teams focus sometimes because it's like, 
what do you do then? And I, I remember reading about Billy Donovan at University of Florida and how, how that second year, because they, you know, Florida won back-to-back national titles, how tough that second year was, though, to keep those guys on edge because they beat everybody, you know? And so, that, so you want to stay um, on edge. We all know the saying, idle hands are a devil's playground. You ever heard that? All right, you heard that? I think it probably should be changed to an idle mind is a devil's playground. Okay, because uh, so instead of having the idle mind, think of Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, these are the things that we should think about. All right, and it'll help us be vigilant and, and guard against uh, this sin slippery slope. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any more excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. I love that. The last time that I was uh, uh, one of the last few things we did as youth pastor at Barnum Christian Church. We went to Impact, a little football, uh, flag football thing, and that was our um, scripture that, that year. And we always did kind of interesting things with our T-shirts and you know, all, and that year we just put words like lovely, uh, pure, just, honorable. That was on our shirts, you know, because that's what we, you know, we wanted to make that uh, something that we, we tried to focus on. So that's what we do. So again, central statement is if we are not vigilant when dealing with temptation, we will violate God's commands and the effects of that sin will be vast. Now let's go to the next. Let's see, we're going to stay in verse, we're going to do verse one again, but then the first part of verse two. And it goes really right with the first one, so it may not be it take me quite as long. Uh, I, I, may, I may be able to get us out of here about 11.50. All right, um, it's a joke, y'all. It's a joke. Okay, all right, all right. Um, 2 Samuel 11, verses 1, 1, 2, the first part of verse 2. In the spring when kings marched out to war again, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem, verse 2, first part of verse 2. One evening David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. So again, this goes with that first one. But we see now, number two, a change in motivation. Okay? A change in motivation. Uh, and it goes hand in hand with it. But instead, again, instead of going to war, he didn't want to do his job. Instead of going to war, he was out strolling. Like, I, I, I love uh, that, that it says the word stroll in the CSB. <laughs> He's just strolling. He's just strolling. It's kind of like, it's real leisurely, right? It's not like a focused walk like Sally and I have been trying to do, you know, an exercise. Anyway, uh, but it's more like a, a strolling, kind of kind of chilling. Right, Daniel? All right, yeah, yeah. You know, the, right, this is Daniel, so I walk that way all the time. I'm just playing. All right, um, I'm just playing. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, he, he didn't do what he was good at doing. We know how much of a warrior David was. He was a great, uh, world-renowned warrior, and it doesn't seem to make sense to us. Why? If he would have just gone to war, none of this would have happened. He would have just done his job, right? But he didn't. thing is, he, he, uh, instead of striving, he, he was strolling. Instead of fighting, he was flowing. You like that one? All right. And instead of being at war, he was wandering. But I'm trying to get those alliterations going for you, Mr. Lord. Um, his motivations have changed. Some might say these days that he was slipping. Right? You heard that expression? Uh, his motivations have seemed, have seemed to change. He seems not to have much motivation, to be honest. Definitely not to defend his country. Well, they didn't do that. He let somebody else do it. I mentioned before that the hardest students that I have that that I have to deal with aren't the ones that will disrespect me in my face. They're the, they're the ones who don't do anything. They drive me crazy, all right? Because uh, they're not motivated. It's 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 hard. It's, it's as a teacher, what do we do? You know, the ones that lay their heads on our desk. 
I, I'd rather they just like cuss me out. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. You know, um, but again, it's a very dangerous place to be. My encouragement to you is to find the, your contentment in Christ, as far as your motivation goes. First Timothy six, verse six says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain." Philippians four eleven through thirteen, which you will notice, you'll recognize the end of it because that's the these uh, athletes uh, anthem so to speak, although it's been used out of context for uh, all this time. All right, um, But listen to it. It says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in, a, in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me, which is the one that we see all the time. Uh, and we like to take it and make it mean something else. But what Paul is saying is, no matter what situation I'm in, I find my contentment in Jesus Christ. I can be content no matter what. And in this time of, of COVID-19, we can find our contentment in Jesus Christ no matter what. Right, guys? And, and I'm, man, I'm so, it's so good to see y'all and to see people, even if you don't say amen or laugh at any of my jokes, I just like to see people's faces. Uh, the honk and the horn was kind of cool, though. I have to admit that. Um, you know, it's easy to be discontent, right? It's easy to chase after the next thing. But be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Says the work guy. What an amazing thing. Uh, are you content no matter what your situation is? It's like Sally, when I was studying for this, or I think it might have been after I studied for it, but Sally made a comment. She said, uh, I don't understand. I mean, David had a bunch of wives. I, I, I'm pretty sure, not, not, don't, please don't take offense to this, but I'm pretty sure they were probably good looking. I mean, like, I'm not trying to be, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be funny here. In fact, we know that Abigail was. It says in 1 Samuel 25, verse 3, she was both beautiful and intelligent. Sounds like my wife. What? Okay. All right. Amen. We say amen. 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 All right. There you go. All right. Um, but, but still, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? I, I just I really have a hard time with that. He was not vigilant. And if we're not vigilant when dealing with temptation, we will violate God's commands and the effects of that sin will be vast. Now let's go to point number three. Let's go to the next two verses. It says, one evening again, we've already read this part, we'll read it again. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. And as he was strolling, what did he see? From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her and he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? The Hittite? So this point here, here now is the challenge of temptation. Now, I've read different things about this and how, you know, some people will say, ah, oh, she probably shouldn't have been bathing. And then some people are like, well, that's when you did that, you know, like on the roof, you know. And then, but then his, his palace would have been above there, you know, his roof would have been higher up, you know. So I get that, you know. I, and I, this, is, this is a whole tough thing here. And I'm not excusing David here, but uh, I just kind of wish Bathsheba would have been a little more modest. You know, I don't know. But again, I'm not excusing what, what, what happened there. But it's kind of like, that's a tough one. Because you can, you can go down a rabbit you know, you can go down a rabbit hole here and, be like, and study in that. All right? Uh, but the point is, again, if he would have just went to war, none of it would have happened. Okay? All right? And then if you had been strolling around, which time you're strolling. When you're strolling, you're probably looking for trouble eventually. And trouble's going to find you. Sometimes that does seem to be the case, that there are some students that trouble just finds them. Anyway, if you ever notice that, Mr. Lewis? It just seems that way. Uh, it's not, not bad kids. It's just, you know, <laughs> sometimes they have bad luck. Uh, it's like me fishing, you know? Anyway, um, that's my excuse. I was good with that net, though. I was good with that net. All right. Um, so, again, 
Um, he flirted with the temptation rather than fleeing from it. Um, he lingered instead of lighting out. Instead of lighting out. Uh, he repeated a look instead of running away. Right? If he had just ran away. So instead of squashing it like a bug and running away like Joseph did, uh, we already, well, I've already preached uh, that before here um, when, with Potiphar's wife. Um, see, Joseph took off running. All right? In fact, my, my uncle uh, Jimmy has a, a book that he wrote called Run Like Joseph. And, and it's, I encourage you to read it if you get a chance. It's on Amazon. But, um, it, you know, it, it, and it was like Joseph. What did Joseph do? He ran. When that temptation uh, to be with Potiphar's wife took place, he, he took out. He, let, he, he took off. So he went from looking to what? Asking about her, right? To being with her. See, when this happens, my encouragement to you is to run. All right, remember the following, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful, amen? But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. And, and I, don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, to belabor this. I will just kind of, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Um, this is also one of those that's misquoted, one of those misquoted scriptures. And people will say, and, and they'll take that, and they'll say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's hogwash. Okay? God will give you a lot of things you can't handle, all right? So you can look to Him, right, for help. Amen? Uh, that's not what, they're, they're, but they take that verse. Oh, it says that right there, you know? He won't give you more. No, He won't temptation more. All right, then you can handle not like circumstances and situations because that awfully that happens a lot. Look at Job, okay. But no temptation has come upon you what is uh, except what is common to humanity. See, I, I can remember when I first gave my life to Christ when I was twenty years old. Um, alcohol was a big uh, temptation for me, so I, I had I couldn't go to a bar, although I liked to dance and stuff. That might surprise you. But anyway, um, but I, I couldn't do that because I couldn't be in that situation because I know that would be too much for me. All right. And then, you know, whatever that may be for you, you have to, you know, you use some smarts there. All right. But again, there will be a way. God will provide a way out. That's what he says. God will provide a way out. A lot of times we don't look for that way out. All right. So be vigilant. Look for it and run through it. Okay. Because if we're not vigilant when dealing with that temptation, we're going to violate God's commands. And that the effects will be vast. Second Samuel eleven verses verses four and five. David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, he returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, "I am pregnant." Now, this is it probably shocked David. Now I can tell you, and I didn't know I was going to even say this, but I can tell you, we're not the first time we found out that that we were pregnant with with Kaylin. Um, I might have cried a little bit. Okay, all right. I won't go into great detail of that story, but I was supposed to have basketball practice, and I did have basketball practice. And my wife kept hinting at me uh, that she wanted me to go to the doctor's uh, appointment with her instead, and I didn't go because I'm a turd. Okay, I just said the pastor just said he's a turd in this. But anyway, um, and, and I didn't go. But then I got home, and you know, from practice, and Sally told me that you know that she was pregnant. It was an it was an awesome thing. We celebrated a little bit, you know, right, brother? And so. Uh, but this is a different one. This is one like, oh, I'm pregnant. Uh-oh. So the commission of sin, he did it. There's no two ways about it. He is outed in the Bible, okay? There's no, 
no, you know, there's no gray area there. He, he, he did what he wasn't supposed to do. And now he's not the only one who knows it, right? His servants know it, right? Um, Joab knew. Well, Bathsheba definitely knew. So instead of staying home by himself, he sent messengers. Instead of declining, he inclined. Inclined. So first we have adultery, and eventually leads to murder, which we'll look at in the next point. But again, what if that would have been all? Like, there definitely had been consequences because sin had has consequences. But let's play the what if game. What if what if he would have admitted the sin to Bathsheba's husband? Just what if? I mean, you know, just kind of think about. It. I like to do that sometimes. Just think about that sometimes. Um, but you know, she's already pregnant. Now, I'm sure that there would have been hard feelings and, you know, uh, Uriah, who was part of the army there, and actually one of the, one of the real, uh, one of the best men, actually, if you read on in the Bible. Um, maybe, maybe Uriah leaves the, leaves the army. Maybe he maybe he moves to another country. And, but at least he'd still be alive, and, and maybe the baby would still be alive. Very sad time. But we, we know what, what really happened, and we see David has slidden pretty quickly down this slippery slope. Now, what does he do? Now he's got to try to cover things up, and that's going to lead us to the next one. So read with me. Now we're going to break this up into two parts of this cover-up, okay? First, he had to get Uriah back home to sleep with his wife. So let's look, look at that with me. Second Samuel 11, verses 6 to 11. Am I doing okay, babe? I'm going too fast for you? You got it? Okay. My wife is awesome. She's got to do all this stuff today. Um, David sent orders to Joab. Sent me Uriah the, Hitt- the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. He just has a conversation about the war that he's supposed to be at right by the time. Then he said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king followed him. He even gave him a gift, trying to butter him up. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house, which, side note, I think is awesome. I'm sorry. I just like, man, Uriah is the man. Like... He wouldn't even go with his wife. He had more, more righteousness than, than the king, you know, uh, more integrity than, than the king. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? I mean, man, aren't you tired? You've been fighting. been in war. No one will, no one will blame you if you'll just go be with your, with your wife. Uriah answered David, the ark. Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. So for Uriah, instead of fiesta with his with his wife, uh, he took a siesta with the troops. That was that was a stretch. Okay, I tried. All right, and Daniel likes that one. He's laughing on that one. I'm glad you like that one, but I almost didn't say that one. All right. And now, uh, and now that might be somewhat funny. What's not funny is the fact that this is someone's life again we're talking about. It's someone who appears, not just appears, but from what, that, what we just read, he's more nobler than, than the king himself. David didn't even go fight with his troops, and Uriah wouldn't even leave the troops alone. Whew. Next, since that didn't work, David had to get Uriah drunk to sleep with his wife. So read with me. 2 Samuel 11, verse 12 and 13. Stay here today also. Ah, stay, stay another day, Uriah. And tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. I like how the Bible, they don't, they don't mince any words, man. He just comes and says it. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot and, and with his master's servants, but he did not go home. Again, the plan didn't work. 
And, and y'all know the obvious connection there. If we can, if you can get him to sleep with his wife, and it maybe it'll look like that, you know, she's pregnant, you know, from her husband. So now he has to go to the next level, have him killed. And notice just the viciousness in this whole thing. He's going to send a death note by Uriah's own hand. Verses 14 through 17, read with me. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. So now Uriah is dead. And in verses 18 through 24, Joab sends a messenger to Joab, to, excuse me, to David to tell him the news of Uriah's death. The messenger does his job, okay, unlike somebody we know in the story, all right, David. All right, he wasn't doing his job. He does his job. And then verse 25, David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this matter upset you because the sword devours all alike. Intensify your fight against the city and demolish it. Encourage him. So I've read this story many times and I, I you know how you read something and you find, you, and then you read it again and again and, oh you find something you haven't really noticed i, I don't know maybe it's just me but that I, that really ticks me off i have to just the self-righteousness there does anybody see that with me like he not only has he done what he's done but he's just i'm going to go ahead, just give him some word of, word of wisdom so i want you to share this with with uh with joab it's okay man it's part of war by the time he, the sword devours one one like the other man don't worry about it it's okay He's trying to impart wisdom. It was his whole plan to do that. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it just blows my mind. Okay, it just, um, I don't know if if y'all are tracking with me or not. If you are, just kind of nod your head there. But it's it, the, the self righteousness really bothers me. I'm going to impart some wisdom to you when it was all his plan to begin with. Now, all that is left now is is uh, is to marry Bathsheba, so everything looks legit, right? Uh, so. 2 Samuel 11, verse 26 27. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. When the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be what? Evil. evil. Again, that, that last part. The Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Someone once said, Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. God knows. God knows. Numbers 32, verse 23 in the King James. You're not going to see it in the King James, but uh, I'm going to read it to you in the King James. It says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I know it's a little bit different. CSB, but I, love the, I love the King James version of that. Be sure your sin will find you out. Verses 11 and 12 in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So the next, the next chapter, which we're going to read a little bit about next week, okay, and uh, Nathan coming and talking to him and sharing a story with him. And anyway, I just want you to see some of that, some of the consequences now. Okay, so I'm gonna skip a little bit. All right, verse 11 in Second Samuel chapter 12 says, "This is what the Lord says: I am going to bring disaster on you from your whole, from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in the broad daylight." And we see that come to place in chapter 16. Verses 22, with his son Absalom. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. What God said was going to happen, happened, right, brother? Exactly like he said it was going to happen. 
So what are some of the consequences? Well, the baby dies. The child dies. One of David's sons rapes one of his daughters. That's Amnon and uh, Tamar, or Tamar, how you you pronounce that. Another son killed the one who raped her, so Absalom killed Amnon. This is all David's kids, okay? Absalom revolts against David and dies. And that gets caught. Anyway, so... Man, y'all thought that y'all thought y'all's kids were crazy during uh, COVID nineteen. <laughs> Man, David's kids just went nuts. All right. So, if we're not vigilant when dealing with temptation, we're going to violate God's commands, and the effects of that sin will be vast. Uh, you know, and, and we're going to talk maybe a little bit more about this later. But um, for whatever reason, I feel like I need to say it here. Can you be forgiven? Yes, you can. Yes, but there's consequences of sin. Sally and I have talked about that many times. You can be forgiven for sin, but there's consequences. You know, there, there's many people in prison, in jail, who are, who are innocent, and there are people who are guilty. All right? But they can still be forgiven for Jesus Christ, but they still be guilty. They had to pay the price. There's still a consequence there. I know that's kind of a simplified um, illustration, but hopefully it's effective nonetheless. See, sin's slippery slope is dangerous, and it doesn't matter who you are. We will all be tempted. We must... Be vigilant. We're going to fail at some point, though. Maybe not all the time, but we will fail. We are sinners. Uh, does anybody watch the, the show Survivor? If we kind of wrap this up today, anybody watch the show Survivor? Sur- Survivor on CBS? You know Sally and I love that show. All right, it's, it's one of our favorite shows. But Sally will tell you, I don't like what's called Redemption Island. Okay, because what? So what happens in the show? You're supposed. I'm about to take this thing off. Um, what, what's supposed to happen is when you're voted off, you're supposed to be off the island. You're supposed to be gone. That's what I like. Okay, you're you're gone. You don't get a second chance. All right, that's not fair to me that you get another chance. All right, but now Redemption Island, they you you get off the island, off the you get kicked off. You go to another place, and then you get to like comp- compete, and you might get get back in the game. You know, and Saturday would tell you, I'll complain about that all the whole season. I don't like the Redemption Island. It's not fair. Or, or Amazing Race. You ever watch Amazing Race? All right, Amazing Race. Okay, I I don't like the non-elimination rounds. You're out, you should be gone. That's just way out the way I look at it, all right? You know, I don't think it's fair. All right? My sense of fairness from being a triplet comes out in me, okay? All right? Uh, they, say, they say that's an innate thing. I don't know if that's true or not. They say if you're a, like a, a, a multiple, you have this innate sense of fairness. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like it is. Um, but I, I don't like that, but I want to thank God that He isn't fair. Amen? Can we just thank God for a moment that He isn't fair in dealing with our sins? Because what our sins deserve is hell. But God, right? Amen. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And we're going to talk more about this next week. David was called a man after God's own heart. And look what he did today. He, that man was called that. Okay? So keep that in mind. But God, Romans 5.8, I say it like all the time. It's my favorite verse. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. I, again, I love this. Uh, my, uh, I used to hear uh, a former preacher back in the day used to say, uh, you, you, don't, you don't catch the fish first. I mean, you don't clean the fish first. Right? I, you know, we went fishing the other day, and like I said, Kirk caught all of them. But anyway, but we, we didn't catch them. I mean, we didn't clean them like, before we caught them. You know, that makes sense. We can't. Like, we have to catch them first, and then we took them home, and Mr. Combat's cleaned them up for us. Yeah, you don't. We 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 can't. We you don't clean up first before you come to God. You come to God just as you are. Right? 
And God will save you if you if you believe that Jesus God's Son, that He died on the cross, rose from the grave, and you'll be saved. Romans six twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Again, this is one of my favorite verses, and I this is if you ever want a, a verse like a simple way to share the gospel, Romans six twenty three is it, because you can take the key words from that, and this the gospel. It's the gospel. You got wages. Because way I know we've done this before, but if you all humor me, again, I can still go to 12, so I'm good. All right, Brother Rick? All right. Well, I'm just playing. But wages, wages is what you earn, right? I work the job, and I'm going to get my wages. And we don't like it, and we don't get what we deserve, right? Or we want our staff and teachers. Right? We still want that. But anyway, um, the, what we have earned from our sin that we've all committed is death. And that death is eternal separation from Jesus Christ. So if you ever want to share this, it's a simple way. I'm going to teach you and you can tell other people if you want. Okay? I'd love for you to do that. It's separation. But, again, I love that word there. It's not the end. It's not a, it's not a period. It's a comma. All right? But the gift, and what's the gift is the opposite of wages, right? If I want to give Daniel a gift, I want to give it to him. He didn't earn it. I just want to give him a gift because I like him. Hey, man, I want to give this to you. You know, it's not anything that we've earned, but the gift of God, opposite of sin. You can put it on opposite sides if you want. You can put wages, sin, death, gift, God, eternal life, apart from each other. In what? In who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, right? Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, lived the life we couldn't live, and died the death that we should have died. So if you have never met him today, I encourage you to make that decision today as we ask Miss Dolores to come up and Sally to lead us. All right, next week, we're going to look at the rocky road to repentance.